Whoops. You stumbled into that leadership position. You had a big vision, big ideas, but it hasn't gone quite as you planned. You're in the right place. Welcome to the Accidental Leader Podcast with your accidental leader, Bo McDonald. Welcome into episode number two of the Accidental Leader. I'm Bo McDonald. I'm your host, and I too am an accidental leader. Thanks so much for coming back for episode number two. I can't tell you how thankful I am for the number of tweets and emails and text messages and, and LinkedIn messages that I received from you with so much encouragement after the first episode. When you're embarking on a, a new project like this, you just never know how it's going to go. So I've got to say thank you. Thank you for the words of encouragement and thank you for coming back for episode number two. So here's the deal. Last episode, the very first one, I promised we were going to have a guest on this episode. It's not the case. Uh, we had some scheduling conflicts. I had shared the story of two Johns in episode number one. If you missed it, go back and listen. It'll make a whole lot more sense then. There was the John that I worked for in Pennsylvania, very toxic. I shared that story. I'm not going to go down that path again in this episode. I want to focus on the positive. Today's guest was going to be my very, very, very first leader, my very first boss, my very first real job. I was the tender age of 15. And John Davison, the program director, former program director for WHWK 98.1 The Hawk in Binghamton, New York, had hired me. And a little background on that story. I'd always wanted to be a radio DJ. I used to take the cassette tapes when that was a thing. If you remember that, record stuff on the radio, go back and replay it like I was a radio DJ. And that had always been my dream. And at the age of 15, I, I decided it was time for me to get my, my radio job. I was going to work at McDonald's. I wasn't going to do what, what my friends were doing and working at Subway. Damn it. I was going to go get a radio job. The first one didn't pan out. I'd pestered uh, Jacko was his radio name. Don Hurley was the program director at the top 40 station in Binghamton. And I called and called and called. He never returned my phone call. Today, we can laugh about it. He actually does some voiceover work for me now. But that didn't pan out for me. So I called the country radio station. At first, I didn't know the first thing about country, except the Garth Brooks uh I forgot what cassette it was. It was a single and I played it over and over again. That's the only thing I knew about country music. Well, lo and behold, after a few phone calls of pestering John Davison at WHWK, he actually called back and said, fine, you want to come in and work? We'll put you to work. I showed up that very first day to the studio, except I wasn't escorted into the studio. He escorted me into Kate Hankey's office. Catherine Hankey, the promotions director, WHWK, sat me down in front of a computer, had a bunch of papers. Turns out they were all of the uh, contest winners and people who had signed up to win stuff at live remote broadcasts. And my job was to enter them into Excel spreadsheets. So we had a digital version of them. Not quite what I had in mind for my first radio job. Turns out after a couple months, I get my first shot at being on the air. And I can only imagine how horrible that air show was. I, I've got a tape of it. I haven't listened to it in years, in, in two decades at least, it's locked away somewhere safe. You will never hear it. I promise you that. And what John was thinking, putting me on the air, I had no idea at the time. I, at some point, I looked back and said, why would he do such a thing? Why would he put a 15-year-old on the air, someone who had to invest in, invest a lot of time in, and, and coach 
when he could probably take anyone else from one of the other radio stations and plug them in there, someone older, someone more experienced. I could think of all the reasons why he should not have given me that chance, but he did. That's the kind of leader John was. And that's what I want to talk about today. Three, two, one. For more resources and to listen to past Accidental Leader podcast episodes, visit theaccidentalleader.com. Courtesy of our sponsors, your marketing company and Uncommon. I look back at why did he do that? Why did he hire me? That 15-year-old that he had to spend so much time on. So and it was it had to have been a distraction and so much unnecessary work on his part to try to make that happen. Yet he did. And a few things. As I talked with John years later, it's his calling. He loved growing talent. He loved investing in people. He also started very young. So when he saw a young person that was passionate about radio and and wanted to do it, he wanted to invest in them and give them the same chance that he had. He was also groomed through Disney before he got into radio. Uh, He worked at, at Disney, went through the leadership program, acted as one of the cast members. And if you know anything about working at Disney, you know, that produces the cream of the crop in terms of, of leadership. So working at Disney, one of the things that I know John learned there was investing in young people. He said the greatest moments in life are not concerned with selfish achievements, but rather with the things we do for the people we love and esteem and whose respect we need. Disney said that. And when you know John came through the Disney program, he had that same mindset of investing in people. At the age of 17, John gave me my own primetime radio show. Why in the world would he do that? I wasn't as good as some of the other people on the air. I wasn't, I didn't have the talent that some of the other folks at the radio station had that he could have given that opportunity to, but it was the passion and commitment. As I look back, I was always at the radio station. I was always learning. I was sitting with the other DJs. I wanted that opportunity. And I think John saw that for someone who wanted to do it, he could teach them how to be great, passionately curious. That's another thing that that Walt Disney embraced and, and through his leadership programs, he loved people that were passionately curious. And as I think back at the age of 17, when I got that shot, I was passionately curious. I'd always go to John and say, will you teach me this? I remember we were sitting in the production room one day. I was watching him uh, put together some imaging, that stuff you hear on the radio between songs. That's not the DJ talking. And I said, I want to learn how to do that. And he said, get over here, sit down. We spent about two hours in that studio when he could have had it done probably in about 15 minutes Yet he sat there for two hours, showed me how to use the Tascam machine. You've been in radio. You're probably getting cold shakes remembering that piece of equipment and uh, how difficult it was to use compared to what we have now. But he, he spent those two hours showing me, teaching me, telling me what sounded good, what didn't sound good, how to be better at it. And John, over the years, it's not just myself. It's not just myself. John really cultivated a cast of talent out of that radio station during his time there. I can think of Jeff Hogue. Jeffrey A. was his on-air name. He's in Nashville now working at WSM and introducing big country stars at the Grand Ole Opry. 
the mothership of country music. How often do you get an opportunity like that? How do you think that Jeff A or Jeff Hogue got that opportunity to go to such a large radio station that so many country radio DJs would want to be on? One, it was Jeff's hard work. He was passionately curious when he left the radio station and moved to Nashville. He had a, a bunch of music gigs. He was doing tours at the Ryman. And he worked his way up. He was passionately curious. The same way that I got that first primetime radio gig at the age of 17, Jeff A. was passionately curious. But a lot of it had to do with John's mentoring and, and leadership during that time. Bob Quick, one of my bosses. In fact, we graduated from the same high school a couple years apart. Bob Quick had worked for John Davison at WHWK about the same age that I was. He was a young guy. Ended up becoming a program director out in Elmira, New York, and actually hired me away from John to go work at that Top 40 radio station, Wink 106 in Elmira. Today, Bob is living his dream in Charlotte, working for NASCAR, still in the radio division. But Bob was a huge fan of NASCAR. Now, Bob is also a talented person, and to say that he couldn't get there without help, probably he could have been there today. But did being under the leadership of John help that? Absolutely. Bob learned the same things I did about, about leadership, about being a good employee, about being passionately curious. And I truly believe that's why Bob is where he is today. The current morning host at WHWK in, in New York, Glenn Pitcher, was working at the radio station when I was there. He was doing afternoons. He was probably about as old as I am right now. For 20 plus years now, He's been the morning man at WHWK. Glenn is talented, just like Jeff, just like Bob. He probably could have gotten that morning show without John. But again, I truly believe that under John's leadership, under his mentorship, Glenn flourished as a radio person. Glenn was always passionately curious. I would always look at Glenn and say, I want to be like him. He, he was always doing something crazy that I knew John would probably pull him into his office for. And John being the, the corporate person having to wear that hat sometimes, of course, would have to say, Glenn, you can't do that anymore. The same thing he would say to me sometimes. But Glenn was always passionately curious. He, he wanted to have fun. He wanted to excel at his job. And I believe that John allowed him to do that. So during this podcast, in lieu of John not being able to be here to share his story, instead, I wanted to share the three things that I learned from John under my tenure with him and pass them along to you. Because as an accidental leader, the whole reason for this podcast is for folks like me who got thrown into a leadership position that had zero experience being a leader. And you never look back at some of those experiences you've had on leaders before you, maybe the bad ones, but it's taken you a long time to find those good ones. So I want to share those stories from John, those, those lessons that I learned from him and pass those on to you, fellow accidental leaders. The first one is something Disney said, you can design and create and build the most wonderful place in the world, but it takes people to make that dream a reality. And if you remove the most wonderful place in the world and put your business name in there, you can create and design the most wonderful business plan with the best idea, but it takes people to make your dream a reality. People aren't machines to get a job done. That's a lesson that I learned the hard way, and it took me way too long to learn. I am a high D personality, if you follow the DISC assessments. First, if you don't know what your DISC assessment is as a leader, I highly encourage you to figure out where you are 
on the disk profile, it's really going to help you understand how you communicate, why you communicate, and maybe why you're not communicating successfully when you think you should be. So as a high D, I am task-oriented. Get stuff done. Check on to the next thing. So I treated people like machines. Hurry up. We've got stuff to do. Got to get it done. Why aren't you working harder? What do you mean you want recognition? You get a paycheck. Isn't that enough? That was my mindset as a leader for many years. And, and that was toxic on its own. I look back at some of the folks that I had to lead during that time. And, and gosh, I, if they're listening, I, I hope they accept my apology because I can't imagine how horrible it was to, to have to work for me under that point. So that first lesson is people are not machines to get a job done. People are people. Treat them like they were your son or your daughter. That was reiterated to me by Chris Lacurto when I was going through leadership training with him. He reminded me of that. And, and I started looking back as, as Chris was beating that into me. And I couldn't, I couldn't get past the fact, but these people are getting a paycheck. Why do I have to be nice to them? They're, they're getting paid. Chris would always, always remind me of that. And it finally took hold. And as a high D, it's, it's hard to learn that. You've got to understand you've got to hire people that are people under you. Did that make sense? Probably not. Let me try that again. As a leader, if you're not a people person, one, you need to embrace that as much as you can. But you also have to know that if it doesn't come natural to you, you've got to hire leaders under you who are people people. I have three leaders under me. I have Corey Hudgens, I have Frank Allgood, and I have Jennifer Pham. And all three of them are people, people. They've been in their leadership positions about two years now. And for about 12 months, we've had zero turnover. Why? I can take zero credit for it, except for the fact that I hired good leaders. I gave them our mission and vision. I involved them in the decision-making, and I let them lead their people. I don't micromanage them much. Maybe sometimes, not as much as I used to. I let them do their jobs. I let them lead their people. I hold them accountable to the results and I hold them accountable to leading their team to help them get the results that are needed. Lesson number two, leader walks. It's something Disney did all of the time. And as a leader, if you're running a company, if you're running a team, you're incurring task saturation. What is that? That's when you've got all the time to do the stuff but no time to do the leading, but you're a leader. So you're really not doing your job. You're, you're doing the work. You're in it. And it's not an easy thing to get out of, but it can be done. I've, I've done it. I've done it. I continue to do it. I continue to lead my leaders through getting out of task saturation. So instead of doing the doing, they can lead the people that are doing the doing. And leader walks really help with that. It's something Disney embraced. And of course, listening to the team. You, you just don't walk in silence. You've got to listen to your team members. You walk with them. You ask them questions. You allow them to share their thoughts and ideas. And that can be really hard as a leader because when some negativity comes at you, when you hear what you're doing wrong, when you help hear how badly you're failing instead of hearing honest feedback or honest feedback, at least what you want to hear, it can be really difficult to hear that, especially if your self-worth is in the business and someone comes in and shoots that arrow into this thing that you love that you think is so perfect, you can take it personally and leader walks can go horribly awry and you'll probably never do one again unless you understand 
that that's the kind of feedback you need. And even if you don't believe it's true, listening to your team, there, there is some reality in that perception. They may think something and you may think something different, but if they're seeing something, if your team is seeing something, they're on the front line. And you've at least got to be open to that. One of the things that I instituted with my team, one, we had some negative people working for us. So it's really hard to take feedback from people that are just Eeyores. So you have to take it with a grain of salt. You have to understand what they're sharing. There's probably something there. And as a leader, it's your job to pull out of that statement what you think they're saying and what you think can be done. But as a leader, you've got to get the Eeyores out. You don't want them working for you anyway, because that's toxicity. Eeyores are a cancer to your team. They're going to bring everyone else down with their negativity. So you've got to limit that. But once you have a team of people who are passionate, who care, who are invested in your business, who, who want to be there, when they start sharing things with you that aren't going right, you damn well better listen. Because those are the people that can make your business better. Take those leader walks with those team members. One of the things that I started doing with my team, because I would get frustrated when they would bring me problems, it would crush me, especially when I thought things were going well. Have them bring you the problem and bring you a solution or solutions that they think could fix that. It may not be the right solution or solutions. It may not be the one you go with, but it gets them thinking. One, from the standpoint of a leader, if you were in my shoes, what would you do about this? And most of the time, when my team brings me a problem and a solution, they're usually spot on with both. And it's easy to take action on it because they've, they've thought about this already. But it also makes them feel invested in the business. You are listening to them, you are taking their feedback, and you're acting on it. And it makes them feel like a million bucks. Lesson number three from John Davison, be passionately curious. We've talked about that already. John was always putting himself in uncomfortable places. I talked about myself and, and Jeffrey A. and Glenn Pitcher and Bob Quake and how they were all passionately curious. But that was all passed on from John. John was passionately curious in his own right. I can remember Thanksgiving weekend, I think it was 1998. Corporate was installing computers in all of our studios. We were going to soon be automated. We were still using CDs and, and cassettes and carts to play commercials on. And corporate had invested in an automation system, Scott Studios. They were putting it in all of our studios in our radio station in Binghamton, New York. And we all knew what was coming from that. It was going to be automation, the loss of some jobs. But John knew it couldn't be stopped. John embraced it. He wanted to find creative ways to use it to make the station sound better. Well, some of the other program directors were, were being very negative about it. They didn't want it. John knew well before Don Draper said the words, change is, if you've never heard that, Don Draper from Mad Men, change is, you fill in the blank. Is change good or bad? You decide how it's going to be. John decided change was going to be good. Yeah, there were going to be some negative results from it, but John embraced it and wanted to find creative ways to use that automation system to make the radio station sound better. And I was all excited about it. I didn't know to the extent of how much it was going to impact the radio industry, but I was all about embracing technology. And I, I walked alongside John on that journey and I saw him tinkering with things and, and, and putting ideas together of how we could use this to, to do some really cool stuff. When syndication came along after we had the computers, we lost our night show. 
I felt so bad for Rita. I had studied under her for for several months before I started doing my own show and and her show was was eliminated from the radio station in lieu of an automated show. It was Nashville Nights. It was from uh, WSIX in Nashville. And Dallas Turner was the host. And I remember John embracing that. It wasn't his decision. Corporate came in and said, we, we need to cut some expenses. You've got automation now. Where can we cut? Of course, the night show, overnight's always the first to go during that period of transition in, in the radio industry. So John reached out to, to Dallas and the producer of the Nashville Night Show and was passionately curious about how we could make it sound local. If it's going to be on his radio station and he's going to have to do it, then it damn well better sound good. And John did an awesome job of building a relationship with the producer and the host of Nashville Nights and figuring out how he could make it fun and, and involve the listeners in Binghamton, New York, and what was happening in Nashville and really utilize that opportunity, which some people would look at as a negative. And I'm sure in his mind he did because I know he didn't want to eliminate Rita's position there. But if he had to do it, he was going to do it well. And John was always looking towards the future as well. He was passionately curious about what's next for radio. I remember driving down the road one day, listening to the station. Uh, gosh, I'd been working there for about two years, so I knew everything. I, when a normal listener would hear something and not notice, I would notice when something wasn't right or something was different. I remember driving down the road, hearing a promo for the new morning show, Glenn Pitcher, who I mentioned before, had just taken over mornings. And I remember the morning promo, the producer of the imaging had used a piece of Sugar Ray's Every Morning, which was a top 40 song. And here it was being used in a promo on a country radio station. And I thought that was bold. And I remember hearing some people say, why would you use that song on a country radio station? That's silly. Embrace country. That's We're not top 40. John always rode the middle of the road of, of looking towards the future of, of being different and standing out and being too different. I remember there was a station just south of us, Wilkes-Barre Scranton, Froggy 101. And the program director was out of his mind in a good way. He, he was playing some top 40 music on the radio station. I remember John and I talking about that. He said, we, we need to be different, but we need to know where the line is and not walk over the line. So John always knew that, that he needed to embrace things. He needed to be different. He was always passionately curious. And as I look at my direction in my career, I've always embraced that. Going back to my elementary school art teacher, Ann Griner, who had such an impact on me. She was always passionately curious about art and creating. John was the same way. I can look back at so many people in my career and think about why am I the way that I am today? Why am I passionately curious? Because I've had those people that have invested in me. And I hope you have as well. I, I would encourage you to take this opportunity to look back over your life, the teachers you've had, the bosses you've had, even random people that you've met that have clung in your memory for some reason. There is a reason for that. Think about how they've been passionately curious. So my takeaways from John Davison is my leader and takeaways that I, I want to share with you as leaders, how you can lead people better, more successfully with empathy. Be quiet. John wasn't out there making a name for himself as a program director at WHWK. John was there to lead people and make the radio station sound excellent. John was always put up for awards by other people. He never nominated himself. There were so many program directors that were about themselves, about making themselves look good, about 
making sure that they got awards. John was not like that. He was a quiet leader. I look back at folks in the credit union industry, which my ad agency today serves, and I look at those that are very loud in the industry, and then I look at their numbers for their credit union. They're not very successful. They're out there talking a lot, but they don't have a lot to talk about. I look at a few of my clients who, who are very passionate. A lot of them are very much like John. They're not there to make a name for themselves. They're not there to be nominated for the, the various awards within the, the credit union industry. They're there because they're passionate about what they do. There's a book called The Ego is the Enemy. And I would highly encourage you to pick that up as a leader. It had a very big impact on me as I went through it. It humbled me in many ways as I read the stories of, of egotistical leaders and how things turned out for them. And the quiet leaders, like John, the anti-Steve Jobs. John also made margin in his time to lead, not just do the work. If you're an accidental leader and you're early in your journey, you're probably task-saturated. I can think back to 10 years ago. I was still running my company. My company is 15 years old. I was leading people, but I wasn't leading them. I was doing things and hoping that they would lead themselves. In some cases, people would, but in many cases, not so much. And that was a failure on my part because I was doing the doing. Over the last five years, I've really been able to get rid of the task saturation and focus on creating margin in my time to lead. One of my mentors, Chris Lacurto, has a, a program called Killing the Leadership Crazy Cycle. And when I first went through that, I thought, how in the world am I going to do this? How am I going to kill my leadership crazy cycle with everything that I've got to do? But I would highly recommend that you check out that. He's got a lot of resources about that on his website, chrislacurdo.com. Kill your own leadership crazy cycle. One of the things that Chris said as I was going through this was, be careful when you remove tasks from your plate and delegate them. Be careful of what you fill that time with. If you create an hour, you could easily fill that hour with more tasks and it's going to do no good. Be intentional about how you're filling that time. Fill it with leadership work. One of my other takeaways from John is he took risks on people that he saw potential in. He invested his time and resources and he put himself on the line. He put his job on the line. He hired a 15-year-old to do a radio show and he wasn't a great 15-year-old. It took him many, many months to learn. He got better. That was me. But he only got better because John invested in him. John invested in me, invested his time, the constant feedback that he was giving me, good and bad. Bo, your show this week was fantastic. Here's three things I pulled out there that I want you to get better at, and here's how you can get better at it. And he would walk me through it. He would play me air checks from, from other DJs and say, that right there, that's what you can do. Here's how you do it. Go do it. And I would improve, and I, I would know that every air check session I would do with John it was never going to be perfect. He was always going to find something to keep me green and growing and keep learning and keep getting better as a talent. Success. That's another takeaway. Number one radio station, despite doing things differently. That was WHWK. John marched to the beat of his own drum. He took risks. He stood out. It's one of the things, this isn't necessarily a leadership lesson. It's more of a marketing lesson. You own a company. You own a brand. If you're leading a company, John would do things differently. And I realized when I was a program director that I tried to emulate the other radio station in town because they were so successful and we never made it. And I realized it was because we didn't stand out. We were just like them. There was no reason for people 
to switch. John understood that. WHWK was the number one radio station, but it's not because we were trying to be like anyone else. It's because John was making the station its own. John also networked within the industry to build relationships, not build his name. I mentioned that syndicated show. He networked with the host and the producer, not to make a name for himself and not to try to get a job at that big radio station or within the network. He did it to build relationships and make his brand and his radio station successful. It's something that if you're an accidental leader, you've got to make time to go to those conferences. You've got to make time to invest in yourself, to learn, to talk to people that are smarter than you, to talk to other people in your industry. When your task saturated, you can't do it. John also took risks on new things, that syndicated country show involving the staff. One of my friends, Randy Smith from CUInsight.com, also runs another podcast. Many, many years ago, he came back from a conference and he said, the most mind-blowing thing I learned that I think I will ever learn are the words, fail fast and fail cheap. Try something new, take a risk, but fail fast and fail cheap. So at that point, John, I'm sorry you couldn't make the podcast today. I'm looking forward to interviewing you and having you join us on a future podcast. That's John Davison, our program director for WHWK. I can't wait to get you on this podcast. I know I did not do justice sharing your story, but I at least wanted to share my experience with the listening audience here on the Accidental Leader Podcast, because what I learned from John, if I had taken what I learned from him at a very young age, early on in my leadership journey, I have to wonder how differently things would have turned out. I'm not saying I'm not happy how things have turned out now. Things are great now. But if I learned those leadership lessons from John, instead of having to strike out and learn them the hard way from making my own mistakes, holy cow, what an easier journey it would have been. So coming up on episode number three of the Accidental Leader Podcast, I'm so excited about this. Ash Davis is going to be our guest. He's the author of a book called A Life Through Letters. It's a book that I read in 2019 that had such an amazing impact on me and sent my life on a very, very different path. There were a lot of necessary endings, a lot of changes. After I read that book, as a leader, I'm always pushing for success and the next big thing. But A Life Through Letters turned my life upside down as a leader. It made me make some huge life-altering decisions it also changed my outlook on leadership and, and really how I ran my business. So Ash Davis going to be our guest on episode number three. I hope he'll join me for that because I can't state enough just what an impact his book made on me as a leader and the changes that I've made in my life through that. It's certainly not a self-help book, not one bit, but it's a book that's had the biggest impact on me. Ash Davis our guest on episode number three coming up. Visit theaccidentalleader.com to join our mailing list. You can hit subscribe and find out when the next episodes are coming. You'll find out when the Ash Davis episode drops as well. Thanks for joining us on episode number two of The Accidental Leader. I'm your host, Bo McDonald. We'll see you next time. For more resources and to listen to past Accidental Leader podcast episodes, visit theaccidentalleader.com courtesy of our sponsors, your marketing company and Uncommon.